Good morning. Our passage for today is Luke 2, 21 to 35. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering, as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation, which you prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. So I look forward to hearing from this passage from a man who would served at this church uh, as a senior pastor and in other roles for 27 plus years. And uh, so grateful to have him as, uh, if you're new to the church, maybe, maybe you only know him as an actor playing out John the Baptist uh, a few weeks ago. Um, but uh, I'm excited uh, to have him to be with us today. He is... Uh, serving now in hospice care, hospice, hospice chaplaincy, which is just so awesome to know. His heart to care for people just in a time of hurt, a time of struggle, as he brings the hope and love of Christ to people as he always has. So could we please just give a really, really warm welcome to David Mitchell, the Diddy. Thank you, Pastor. Stay seated. That's, okay. That's fine. Thank you. <laughs> it's good to be with you. I'm Dave Mitchell, as uh, your senior pastor just said. You know, it's good to be a guest. I'm a guest pastor here this morning. I've heard a lot of wonderful things about your church over the last 27 years. <laughs> and so I just uh, applaud you, commend you for having such good leadership and uh, such a great uh, congregation as well. Uh, yes, I do work in the hospice world. Uh, candidly, I've been a pastor for like 45 years. And I tell you, it's only the last four years that I've worked in hospice that I even knew what hospice was all about. I thought there was kind of a hospice organization, one that you would go to, and it's a government, and, and they take care of you. And hospice world is not that. There's many, many hospices. And uh, it's a blessing to be uh, given an opportunity to meet with uh, people. I see 30 to 40 people every week. They're all dying. 
And so they all have a, a, a terminal disease. And so we try to help them, we try to bless them, we try to provide for them. And it's required that every hospice has a chaplain. Yeah, hospice, if you don't know this, it's just a, let me just say a few things before I speak. Uh, but hospice world is something that is a, a, a business. I'm working in a secular business. I'm working with people, some know the Lord, some don't know the Lord. I sit with them, we meet together with them. And uh, so I'm living out the life that most of you live out in a secular world, in a secular business, looking for the profit of money, but also looking for the profit of spiritual blessing. And sometimes, sometimes God surprises you and blesses you through the hospice world as well. Just as last week, every week we meet. I meet with the doctor, the nurses, uh, the various uh, people that care, the social worker, and we'll sit in a meeting every week and we talk about every single patient that we have, and we have something like 120 patients. And so we review that, and the nurse said this just this last week. It's interesting. One of the women that I am seeing regularly, uh, I go once a week to see her. She's an 82-year-old woman, has Alzheimer's, and so she's a little, uh, has a little dementia going on there. And the nurse said, uh, oh, I meant to tell you earlier, I went to see this woman, and uh, she told me about you, the chaplain. And she said, he's a real looker. Uh, <laughs> He's someone I could see on my arm. And so I had to go home and talk to my wife and let her know, no, there's nothing, you know, I don't want you to fear about this 82-year-old Alzheimer's patient. Uh, but it's interesting that it's taken me over 70 years to have somebody actually say that about me. So, so if you're older and you're thinking, does anybody think I'm looking like a looker? Uh, well, just hang in there. There may be somebody who has dementia who may actually think. But, so, sometimes it, sometimes it takes fuzzy thinking to see things that aren't really true. And so, uh, anyways, so that's, that's a little bit of a touch on the Alzheimer's hospice world. I'm going to bring a few of the stories and not violating any HIPAA laws, uh, but I'd love to illustrate some of the things we want to talk about here this morning. And I just want to put you at ease that I'm personally not offended. Some of you maybe think that I'm offended, but I'm not offended. I'm not offended that I was given this assignment about the oldest man in the New Testament. <laughs> that somehow I can relate to Simeon, who is probably the oldest man in the book of Luke. Of all the 24 chapters that Eric could have assigned to me, he signed me Luke chapter 2 about the oldest man in the book. And maybe there's some synergy there, I don't know. Uh, I feel that every day I feel like, yeah, I am kind of getting old. And so I understand uh, some of the needs that are out there. But uh, I'd love to tell the story about this dear, dear saint and put it in the context of really this coming year. Uh, I love the, the priorities of this new year. I'm going to give you four that come out of this text. Simeon is a sainted man, and I want you to learn about him, grow in your knowledge of him, but I want to see it, the application that he has a model for each of us. But it begins, the story actually begins with the basis of our hope. The basis of our hope is found in this little passage where where Mary and Joseph come and they bring, because they're poor, they bring the poorest of sacrifices in those first eight days of the birth of their baby. The Old Testament laws are filled with all kinds of instructions as to how they should be treated in those first days. If it's a baby girl or a baby boy, it's just amazing sort of instruction that goes on there. You can read about that in books like Leviticus. But I love this little section here where it says, eight days later, after the birth of Jesus, one of the few passages that we actually see Jesus before his 
outward ministry when he was about 30 years old. This is eight, day, eight days later when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus. The name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. The angel went to Joseph, talked to him about that. But I, I don't want to go on without emphasizing what is a profound theological truth that comes from this passage. Why do we need to know that eight days he was circumcised and that his name was Jesus? Because there's two things that are important about that particular verse. Number one, he was circumcised. The idea for the New Testament audience that that was primarily being written for so that they could understand it is that Jesus was a fully, fully a human man. He was circumcised. There were those that think he wasn't a man. So he was human. But also his name is Jesus. Jesus is the Greek version of the Old Testament name Joshua. And Joshua means the Lord is salvation. So in this one little passage, as he confirms to Mary and Joseph who this baby is, he is fully a man, but he is fully God. And Mary and Joseph going through this unbelievable journey, little teenage girl, never thought she'd be pregnant in her teen years, and here she is, unmarried, but having been given birth to the Son of God, who is fully man, fully God. And that is a profound truth that comes from that little portion there. It's a reminder to who Jesus is. And because he is who he is, we have four priorities that we can see for us this year. And the first priority is Simeon's position. His position is one of righteousness and devoutness. It says there in the text that he was a righteous and devout man. It's interesting, as Luke is a doctor, he is a scientist, he is a researcher, so he checked out all these people. He had put compilation of stories of people that he had knows about, and he writes about Simeon, and the first thing that he says on the resume of who Simeon is is that he is righteous and he is devout. I'd like to think that when God writes my resume, that one of the first things God thinks about is that Dave is righteous and he is devout. You know, a lot of our resumes have all the degrees we earned and maybe the positions we've had in life, all the various things that we've accomplished. Sometimes in our mind's eye, our resume also includes our net wealth. And when God looks at Simeon, he doesn't even think about all those things. And he says, Luke, there's only one thing I want you to know and want you to write about this dear man, Simeon. He's righteous and devout. Righteous means he is holy as God is. Devout, literally the word devout there literally means to hang on to God. So he is righteous in his heart and he's hanging on to God. And it's not easy to get there from here. Let me tell you about a woman by the name of Connie, which is not her real name. It's interesting, all the people I'm going to talk about are named Connie today. <laughs> but Connie is a woman that I was with just this last Monday. I'll see her again tomorrow. She's this little Jewish woman. She's probably about 5'2". She's in her 80s. No, she's early in mid-70s. And she lays in her bed all day long. She has ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. She is literally paralyzed from her neck to her feet. She can't move anything. She just lays there but can move her head and can talk. And when I first met her, I thought maybe she wouldn't be interested in this Gentile coming in and spending any time with her. But I began to share with her, and this last Monday, I shared this with her. I said, Connie, wouldn't it be wonderful as a Jewish woman to know the greatest Jew who's ever lived, the name is Jesus? And what Jesus came in this world to do is this. 
He came to take the penalty of all sins that you've ever committed and all sins I've ever committed. He wants to take that penalty and he wants to penalize himself. And he wants to take that wrongdoing and put it on Jesus so that in Jesus he can give you his righteousness. And the analogy might go something like this. Imagine you go to a bank and you want to open a bank account. And the uh, bank teller says, you have two options. There are two kinds of accounts I can give to you. I can give to you this account that is filled with debts, all the debts of your life. And you can open that bank account, and you can work real hard to get rid of all those debts. Or here's another bank account. This bank account is filled with billion dollars. You open that bank account, and all that is yours. It's freely given to you. You just trust me that you open that bank account, and you get all that. And in Christ, I can open up the bank account. In fact, Romans chapter 4 uses the analogy of, of an accounting system. And God says, I want to, here's the ledger. I want to account to you. I want to, by faith, give to you my righteousness. Now, you can work hard with the first bank account to eliminate the debt, or you can, by faith, receive the gift of a billion dollars, or in our world, of righteousness. God says, Connie, which kind of account would you like to have? He says, oh, I don't know. And one of the great passages that talks about this, as I gave it to her, is he made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin on our behalf to take our penalty, to erase that indebtedness account so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I said, Connie, would you like to have the righteousness of God? Would you like to believe in Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord? Now, I have to be careful in this Medicare world to say things like that, but she opened the door because she said, I am so fearful, I don't know what's going to happen to me after I die. I said, well, Connie, would you like to know what's going to happen to you after you die? And I gave her the truth of heaven and the hope of Christ and the resurrection. And she said, well, I had a friend of mine that had to give up her Judaism so she'd become a Christian. I said, Connie, you don't have to give up your Judaism. There's so much about Judaism that I think is precious. Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, Hanukkah. These are things that we relate to. And what, what Jesus wants to do is he wants to add a whole other layer of, of meaning and truth in those elements so that you can remain this wonderful Jewish woman and yet have the righteousness of God. Would you like to trust in Jesus right now? And she said, I don't know. Let me think about it. And then she said, would you come back next week? I said, absolutely. So tomorrow morning at 11.30, pray for me as I meet with Connie. And I want her to come to know the righteousness of Christ. I want her to have all the Jewishness that Jesus has and live for him. And that's what we're in the business of doing is helping people like that to have a position where their resume begins with righteousness, not wealth, not degrees, not accomplishments, not awards and honors, but righteousness. And the first priority for you and for me this year is to have that at the top of the list because Jesus said, I died for you to give you my righteousness. It's interesting, we don't often read and hear much about it, but in John 3, 36, John writes that if you believe in Jesus, you're forgiven. If you don't believe in Jesus, the wrath of God remains on you. 
And there's no need for the wrath of God to be on anyone because Jesus says, I've taken care of that. Let's go to the bank account and give you righteousness. I'm going to accredit it to your account. It's an amazing thing. It's, it's so easy, and yet so many people don't get it. So the position of the first priority is righteousness. The position and the next priority is this purpose of life. Simeon had a wonderful purpose. He would hang around the temple. People would probably come up to Simeon and say, aren't you retired now? What are you doing here? How is retirement? But he'd hang around this place because he was looking for the consolation of Israel. He was looking for something beyond himself. He was looking for the Messiah to show up. This word consolation sometimes is, is misused. Often, if you, if you go to the Price is Right and you don't win the big prize on the big platform, but you're one of the contestants down here, they have consolation prizes for you. Consolation prizes are for losers. Jesus is not a consolation prize, except in many ways we are spiritually losers, but the word consolation, let me give you a little Greek word here, parakalesis. Para is that means to be side, like a paramedic, a medic para who comes alongside you. Kalesis comes from the word kaleo, meaning to call. What Simeon was looking for is the calling of God to come alongside him. Jesus is God coming alongside us. He had a purpose in life. He was looking for something more. Let me tell you about Connie number two that I see regularly every week. Connie number two that I came to see her, she's in her 80s, she's dying, bed-bound completely. And at first, you know, they don't have to have a chaplain come. So the first few months on our service, she didn't want a chaplain. And then finally the nurse came to me and says, you know what, so Connie would love to have you come and see her now. Oh, okay. So I go to see her, and I didn't know what to expect. And then for the next half hour as our visit began, she began to talk about her life when she was a teenager. So we're going back 60 years. And as a teenager, she said she was raped by her boyfriend. And that she married another man in her 20s. And she had a child by that man. And that child was an adulterer and an abuser. And so she finally decided she needs to divorce him because she can't live with this man anymore. And she said, as a result of that divorce, the pastor told me, that I could never have communion again. You're out. And for 60 years, she lived with that shame and that guilt and that feeling of wrongdoing and hopelessness. And she just kind of wept as she shared the story of her life. And I thought, my goodness, you've been hanging on to this shame and this guilt for 60 years? Let me tell you the story of Jesus. And I told her, and I wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Jesus wants to take your sin, any shame, any guilt, and he puts it on himself, and he wants to take his righteousness, and he, Connie, he wants to put it on you. She said, really? He would do that for me? Absolutely he would do that for you. He wants to do it right now. In fact, how about, and I brought communion to her, and I read the passage, 1 Corinthians 11, the standard passage of the, the body and the blood of Christ, and I read that, and I said, Jesus wants to be that cleansing blood of the soul so that you are no longer living in shame. And she just couldn't believe it. I mean, you can give me communion, yes, because Connie, right now you stand in the righteousness of God. 
and she was liberated after 60 years of living with this shame. And it was a really big, huge breakthrough. I'm just sort of making it shorter. And finally, I served a communion. And now every time I go back, I see her every week. Every time I go back, she never talks about 60 years ago. She never talks about shame and guilt. She talks about today and the future. And this is what she tells me. And I don't understand this, but I'm gonna take her at her word. She says, I lay here on this bed and I look up at the ceiling. I see the face of Jesus. I see his loving presence looking down upon me. And I thought of Simeon, God coming alongside us, looking for Jesus, the, the presence of Christ that comes down to be with us. And so now she doesn't look at her past anymore. She looks at the present and future of Christ hovering above her, being present with her. She can't get out of the bed anymore. So he is there with her. It's a liberation. It's a freedom. It's a new freedom that God wants to give. And God wants to give that to each of us to have that purpose. One of the great purposes that Simeon had was to look for Jesus, to be looking for the coming of Christ. It says in Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We should be looking for that. Also in 1 John it says, Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears we will be like him because we will see him just as he is and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. You know one of the purposes that we should have, the overriding purpose of life is to be looking for Christ to return. Uh, there's not a lot on prophecy these days in many of our churches and, and I've been guilty of that myself. But there's so much that God says, I want you to know about this. And so God says, I want you to understand that I'm coming back. I want you to be ready. And to be ready is to have a position of righteousness, purity, so that I'm looking for the return of Jesus. C.S. Lewis has this great quote when he talks about these future things. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely, largely ceased to think of other world that they have become so ineffective in this. My mindset has to be constant. I, I see every day 30 to 40 people who are dying, and I want to help them to see what C.S. Lewis said at one time, that when we look at our bodies and our health, we realize we were not made for this world. And I want them to see the world that God has made them for, that we're living in the preface of the book, and heaven is the first chapter. I, help, I try to help people to see that, to understand that, to redeem them from this world because I need to look to Jesus. So I help them to do that. One of the ways, and so I'm going to take advantage of my opportunity on the platform because you can't fire me. But I wanted to talk about the fact that one of the ways that we are doing this, I'm involved in this nonprofit organization called Soul Rafa. You've heard about it here. I'm going to just emphasize it and remind you of it. Soul Rafa. Rafa is the Hebrew word for healing, soul healing. I'll tell many people, we, we cannot heal your body, but we can bring healing to your heart. And Soul Rafa is one of those ministries where we have a, some of the people right here sitting in these chairs with you are out there doing this ministry of going into convalescent homes, nursing homes, and bringing the good news of Jesus Christ and giving them hope. Here's a quick video of that story.
you recognize some of those names. Joel Sheehan is uh, somewhere sitting out there, I think, and some of the choir members and, uh, that are out there, that they go to these places, and these are, this is an unreached people group. They are alone. This is Charlie. The executive director, Heather Riley, had a visit with Charlie. Charlie came into this facility with absolutely nothing. And Heather asked him, what, what would you like? What can I get for you? Thinking he needs all kinds of things. And all he said is this, all I want is a visit. That's Charlie, all I want is a visit. These people are lonely and alone. And if you'd like to have an opportunity to serve with a lot of our Calvary family that's already out there, let me know, let us know. We'd love to help you be part of that. The next thing I noticed about Simeon's life is not only is his position of righteousness, not only was his purpose looking to Jesus, to have purpose in life, even to go to these nursing facilities to find that purpose of life. In fact, it's interesting, I just thought about this. One of the patients that I used to see, whose wife has now passed away, would do all the caregiving by himself. And then a neighbor was an RN. And the neighbor came over and said, how can I help you? And he said, oh, that's okay. And she said, well, I'd love to help you. He said, well, I'll pay you for it. He says, no, I don't want you to pay me for it. I just want to help your wife. And after he, she began to help his wife regularly, this RN, in a retirement community, because she's all retired, she said this one thing to him. She says, I don't want you to pay me. I just want to thank you for giving me purpose in life. We still need purpose in life so that we can have this power that carries us along. It says he was been revealed by the Holy Spirit. He came in the spirit of Simeon. This text reveals how Simeon knew who Jesus was, where Jesus would be, and it says the Holy Spirit revealed it. The Holy Spirit teaches us. He guides us. He instructs us. There's a great truth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, this, this concept of what we call illumination. It is where the Holy Spirit takes Scripture and opens my eyes to see within it things that I would not have otherwise seen. The Holy Spirit illumined the heart and mind of Simeon as he was a researcher and a seeker of the coming of the Messiah. And because he was a researcher and seeker of the coming of the Messiah, Simeon was right there perched where he needed to be by the divine appointment of God that he could see the baby Jesus and bless him and his parents. And my, my challenge to us is that we would have the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit and that we are taking the text of Scripture and we are students of this Word that this word is penetrating my heart and my mind, and that when I pray, I pray biblical prayers. And when I think, I think biblical thoughts. And the Holy Spirit reveals to me wonderful godly truths that then saturates my heart and my mind and gives me power for the day, as he says, he came in the Spirit for the Holy Spirit to lead me. So the Holy Spirit revealed truth, and the Holy Spirit led him in that truth. And there were so many Pharisees and religious leaders of that day when Jesus was born who could have also researched what one man has written, at least 400 prophecies of the coming of the Messiah in the Old Testament. The religious leaders had that. Many of them would memorize the Torah, the first five books written by Moses. And yet when Jesus showed up, they didn't know to look for him because they hadn't researched and sought the Messiah. And Jesus is coming back. And I want us to be people 
who are researching and seeking the coming of the Messiah. Because as First John says, it helps me to be pure and holy and be ready for him. I want to be in the right spot for the divine appointment when Jesus comes for me, whether it's through death or through his second coming from sky on a cloud. I want us to be people who are ready by the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal and to lead and to guide, provide, strengthen, empower, correct, and encourage. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And then finally, there's Simeon's peace. I love this last little portion here. It says, Simeon departed in peace. He died, as the NLT says, he died in peace according to your word. Let me go. I love this last little section here. Let me emphasize it. It says here, in the glory, and it says, uh, uh, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. That was earth-shattering to the Jewish people. Wait a second. Jesus is coming to reach the Gentiles. We don't have anything to do with the Gentiles. We don't associate with them. The first chapters of the book of Acts, people are struggling with this whole idea that we are one with the Gentiles. It was a hard transition to make. And here he's saying Jesus has come to reach the Gentiles. He wants to reach the Jews and the Gentiles. He wants everyone to come to him. And that was a hard, hard truth for a lot of those steadfast Jewish people in that day. But right from the get-go, Simeon made it clear. I've come, Jesus said, to reach everyone, to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile, Romans 1. And so God brings this truth to all people that he would know him. And then it says here, and Simeon blessed them and said to him, Mary, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. For a sign to be opposed, a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. In other words, this idea, he wants to give her a blessing. It says he blessed her. The word blessed there is eulogos. You meaning E-U meaning good, logos meaning words. We get the English word eulogy. And if you might think about this in the, the language of today, the last few verses here of this chapter is Simeon giving the eulogy of Jesus. This is his eulogy. That Mary, Jesus is coming to this world. It's going to pierce your soul as you stand at the foot of the cross. There's four times you see Mary in the, in the New Testament. At the birth, at the, at the wine, at the cross, at the ascension to heaven. And she stands at that cross and she watches her son be brutally killed on the cross. A piercing of your soul, Mary, but it'll account for the rise of many, but sadly for the fall of some. Jesus is that breaking line. Some of us are gonna be rising with Jesus Christ someday and some of us are gonna fall before the throne under the wrath of God. That's the truth. That's what the Holy Spirit says in Scripture. And he wants us to understand that truth. There's no in-between. There's no gray zone. I'm either at peace with God or God's wrath remains on me. John 3.36. And so we need to be people of peace. Let me share one last story. And I talked to his wife just yesterday. She gave me permission to tell you about Terry. When I first met Terry, I walked and opened the door, and there he was, and he had a black T-shirt on, and he had a Viet Vet hat on, and he had some sort of writing that was very negative on his shirt. I said, oh, nice to meet you, Terry. Come on in. And it reminded me, I'm a Viet Vet. 
And over the first few visits, he talked to me about the horror of being in the Vietnam War and some of the horrible things he had to endure. He was a sergeant in Vietnam, and it just crushed his soul. He said, I have PTSD. There was a lot of anger within him, a lot of frustration. It was just, a, you know, his shirts were always black. Every, every time, black shirts, Vietnam vet hat. And the more we talked about this, I shared, you know, a lot of what I shared here. And uh, he said, I don't think I have the Holy Spirit in me. I said, well, let me give you some truth. And so I read some scriptures. Here's what the Bible says. Uh, I don't think I have the Holy Spirit. Next visit, I come back. He says, you know, I was talking to my next-door neighbor. He's a Mormon. And suddenly I had an epiphany from something the Mormon said. And I realized I do have the Holy Spirit. And my ego was a little bit deflated because I thought, well, wait a second, I, I gave you better stuff than he gave you. <laughs> but he had this, what he called epiphany. And suddenly he was changed. And I shared about Christ and all these gospel truths. And the next time I came over there, he had a colorful shirt on. He says, I've gotten rid of all my black shirts. I don't wear my black shirts anymore. I'm a new person. And now I have a new life. So his shirt was kind of a metaphor for his life, from blackness to color and vivid colors and nice messages and something about car races and stuff like that. And so this is wonderful. And Terry... We had numerous visits that way every week. And it was an amazing thing to see the change in his life. God changes people. God gives people peace. Even PTSD Vietnam vets, he will give them peace. Terry died three weeks ago. I conducted his funeral about three Sundays ago. We buried him over there next to Kobe Bryant, his precious daughter, and John Wayne. And I had the privilege to bring the gospel to like 100 people of his friends and family at that service. God opens these doors. But let me tell you something. The week before Terry died, he sent me a text. And he said this, I've lived a long time without Jesus in my life. That was my own special kind of hell. Now I have God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. I'm already in heaven on earth. Every day brings new blessings, which includes visits, messages, and prayers from you. God bless you. For a while, I thought I might have come to the end of the line, but now I'm comfortable in the arms of Jesus. I am happy. There's not a lot of rewards for that. Jesus is still in the business of changing lives. And I've had the privilege to see him do it. I've also had the, the, the privilege of being rejected and <laughs> literally kicked out of someone's home. Uh, so it's not all good. But God does bring along enough of these that says, you know what? It's worthwhile. And so my, my challenge for me and for you is this. In 2023, may our lives be a position of righteousness and devoutness of hanging unto God. May our lives have a powerful purpose of seeking Jesus and helping others to see Jesus as well in me and 
in his life. May our lives be the power of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit is teaching, leading, guiding, encountering me in fresh and new ways every day. And may my life have peace. May we have peace with the Almighty God, who is righteous and holy and says, I want to give you my righteousness so you can be at peace with me. May we receive that peace and live it out with those around us. Let me pray. Father, help us now as we live out this new year, an opportunity to kind of reflect and to be guided by you. Father, I pray that the power of your spirit would continue to teach us and to lead us as you did Simeon, and that our eyes would be on the hope of the coming of Jesus Christ, and we live in the blessedness of the hope of the coming of Christ, and that, Father, we have that righteousness that gives us peace with you so we can rest, as Terry did, in the arms of Jesus. And now he's in the arms of Jesus, literally. What a blessed hope that is. Help us on the journey. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.